Welcome to the Trinity Western Chapel Podcast. As a vibrant part of life at Trinity Western University, Chapel creates opportunities for us to engage with God's story of redemption in Jesus Christ through His Word, prayer, and worship. We're glad you're listening and hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. I'm excited to be here with you guys. I've been, <laughs> I've been, sitting, I've been sitting in this passage and when I was first given this passage, I read it and sort of went, oh my gosh, it's a hard passage. This is one of those passages that I might actually journey with someone in who has difficulty with the Bible. <laughs> and so I read it and thought, ooh, this, this can be tough to, to listen to. And as I sat with it and continued to pray around it, I actually got really excited about diving into this this portion of scripture with you. And so our reading today is from 2 Peter. We're going to start with verse 1, just because I want you to see the context. And then it's verses 12 to 22. What I want you to keep in mind, I'm going to have Ellen come up and read this scripture for us. But before we begin, what I want you to do is actually close your eyes before you even read that on the screen. I just noticed it's on the screen, but I don't want you to see it yet. Okay, great. It's probably too late. What I would like you to do, though, is actually begin by closing your eyes and noticing yourselves in this space. And I want you to remember a time when someone who you have really loved or cared for has been in danger. Someone that is close to your heart and there's a threat to them. How did you feel for your friend or your family member? How did you respond to what you felt was dangerous or threatening to them? And I wonder how you experienced God with you in your concern for your loved one. So I invite you to now listen to our reading. The person who wrote this was afraid for his friends and felt fear and concern for this special flock that he cared for. Ellen, will you come up? And you can use this mic here, I've been told, <laughs> and read our passage for us. So this is Ellen Uniwo to read our passage. Good morning, everyone. Um, so our passage is taken from 2 Peter chapter 2. Um, and as Jen said, we read verse 1, and then we read from verse 12 to 22 from the NRSV version. Verse 1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive opinions. They will even deny the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Verse 12. These people, however, are like irrational animals, mere creatures of instinct, born to be caught and killed. They slander what they do not understand. And when those creatures are destroyed, they also will be destroyed. 
suffering the penalty for their wrongdoing. They counted a pleasure to reveal, to revel in the daytime. They are bloods and blemishes, revealing in their dis dissipation while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. They have left the straight road and gone astray, following the road of Balaam, son of Bosor, who loved the wages of wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgressions. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Verse 17. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, for them, the deepest darkness has been reserved. For they speak bombastic nonsense with licentious desires of the flesh. They entice people who have just escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For people are slaves to whatever masters them. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overpowered, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would, be, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment that was passed on to them. It has happened to them according to the, according to the true proverb, the dog turns back to its own vomit, and the soul it washed only to swallow in the mud. Thank you, Ellie. So I don't know about you, but when I read that, it felt rather heavy to me. And as I sat with that, I actually noticed some things these are the things that stood out to me that I want to invite you into. First of all, the whole section of 2 Peter from chapter 1, verse 6 to chapter 3, verse 13, and this is in the words of uh, one scholar, this whole section is intended to refute, accuse, and denounce the false teachers not to objectively describe them. And what we hear is a lot of objective, it can sound like objective description. But what he's using is when we hear that they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime, their blots and blemishes, their revel in dissipation, in feasting. One of the terms for communion in this passage earlier on is a love feast. And he's playing with this. While they're with you for a love feast, they are actually attacking you. They are actually undercutting your faith. They are drawing you into um, a way that is not the way of Christ. They have eyes full of adultery. We hear this, insatiable for sin, but he's not objectively saying this is what describes them. Instead, Adultery here, sexual immorality, sexual adultery, insatiability, is a way of the author referring to their spiritual unfaithfulness. And we hear Hosea in this, don't we? When God calls the people back from spiritual unfaithfulness. 
And this is what we hear is that this writer cares so much about the people being spiritually faithful to God. And again, he's using this biblical image of sexual unfaithfulness for spiritual unfaithfulness. And then we hear they entice unsteady souls. These leaders are not going after or trying to, like, convince or convince away solid believers. They are going for new believers. They are talking to people who are unsteady, who may feel insecure in their faith. And these are the people they are preying upon. As you become aware of that and notice that this is, like, I kind of get why this guy's mad. We have people who are vulnerable, people who are just discovering Christ, who are just moving in the new way of faith. And these leaders are coming in, and they are trying to entice them. They are trying to draw them away from Christ and draw them into idolatry. And I thought this was an awesome passage for Lent, because what we have here is they are inviting these people to feast, in a sense, but to feast on what meets their needs apart from God. And we are called to feast on what calls us to God. And so in the season of Lent, I've heard this from actually many people who are here. I'm going to borrow from some of you I've heard say this. So if you hear yourself in this, that um, for you, Lent, the fasting of Lent has become you fast from something so that you can feast on God. And so that's what we hear is this invitation to fast from what these false teachers are trying to convince the people to feast on. Anything, and this is really anything that draws us from God. This is not a list of things. This is noticing in ourselves what is it that we're trying to have meet our needs, our need for love, our need for security, our need for you name it, you fill in that blank. And what do we feast on to fill that place instead of feasting on the God who fills us and cares for us and provides for us? And so we then come into Balaam. So these leaders have left the straight road. They've gone astray following the way of Balaam. And... Balaam is an Old Testament reference, as many of you, like, I definitely think, I always love to go into the Old Testament references. And the cool thing about this is, as I looked into what would be the significance of Balaam here, I ran into this noticing that Balaam was prophesying and bringing in idols to Israel at the same time that Moses is leading Israel. So the people actually have a choice here. They can choose to follow Balaam, who is actually just doing this for money. He, uh, he's willing to false prophesy. He's willing to speak against the people of Israel when it turns in his favor. And now he's convincing them to serve idols for his own monetary gain. So the people can choose to follow him, which they do actually in the Numbers story, or they can choose to follow Moses. And Moses is the guy that they know is spending time in the tent with God. And his face comes out and is shining. So it's, it's pretty clear, right? And yet 
the pull and draw of idols is powerful. It is powerful for us. It is powerful for, for everyone. Like, wh why is idolatry such a big deal? Why is, like, because it's our common propensity, I think, to, to fall into that. And yet, we have Balaam and Moses, and in your own, as I was listening for you guys and just praying and preparing, I noticed that you too, you can tell false teachers who are trying to convince you to meet your needs with something other than God, whether it's in a church or whether it is in your family or whether it is in your friends or on the television or your Netflix. It comes at us from all different places. And I think that's why this guy's so angry, honestly, because it's come into the church, a place that should be safe and should be a place where we really experience Christ. And it, it isn't always, is it? And it wasn't always then. And so, but we have ears to hear. God is alive and continues to speak to us now. And in the same way that the people could recognize Moses and know the difference, you guys, you can recognize the Moseses. You can recognize the Balaams. And so just to name that and to notice that, you will notice them and you will recognize them because you will notice that they are waterless springs. What is it to go get a drink from the fountain and find out that there's nothing there? And this is directly contrast. We have waterless springs, and what do we have in Christ? The living water. We have deepest darkness, and we have the light that shines in the midst of the darkness and cannot be overcome. And you experience this, and you yourselves can recognize it. In Lent, we are set free. We choose to step into the freedom of Christ by fasting off those things that actually keep us slaves. 2.19 says these false enticements, idols, other ways of meeting our needs, they promise freedom. But they, the teachers of this, themselves are slaves of corruption because people are slaves to whatever masters them. So in Lent, we step into the freedom of free people who can say no to things. And we are set free from the slavery that holds us to those things. And we feast on freedom and God and the abundance of his being in us and with us. There's this final bit that talks about after that the danger is that for these false teachers, if once people have tasted truth and tasted freedom, and then they go back to darkness and slavery, it's, it's just painful. It's so much worse because they've actually experienced truth. They've felt freedom. They have lived in the light. But the lies are very strong and persuasive. We believe them. We believe them, and we keep falling into them. And what we saw in the previous section, so this whole section is held together, and it's, it's held just before we come into this section, we see Noah and Lot, which 
are used as examples, not of the destruction that God wrought in those communities, like on those places on the earth, not to represent that destruction, but instead to show how in the midst of the destruction, in the midst of evil, in the midst of harm, God protects the ones he loves. That God is stepping forward and he is protecting Noah and his family. And he protects Lot and his family. And he will protect you. And he will protect us. And so we are called into the character of the God who calls us into the light. We are called to follow and emulate the God who desires to protect his people from what seeks to destroy. And we are called to live in light and in love and to not abandon our first love, but to always keep turning back to the one who loves us and longs to meet our deepest needs, calls us out of idolatry, not out of a desire to harm, but out of his incredible love for us, like Hosea longing for his wife to come back, like God calling his beloved wife to come back. And it is a picture of grace and forgiveness Revelations 2.4 is tied into this passage. There's a reference to Balaam. And in there, John writes, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And that was written to Ephesus, pretty much a top-notch community. He speaks that to us. He longs for us to not abandon our first love. But instead, during this time of Lent, maybe, not just to fast off something for the sake of fasting, but instead to fast so that we can feast on the love of the God whose heart breaks when we turn away from him and who gets really angry at those who try to persuade us to give him up for something that is just false. And so I invite you now to notice that God, the God who protects, the God who defends, the God who loves and beckons us to him as our first love. To notice that God, our God, with us. As we enter and continue in Lent together, I invite you to keep turning away from anything that beckons you from Christ and continue to press in to his protective, providing, and abundantly loving heart that you may feast on God even in this time of fasting. May you receive the benediction. May you be blessed with freedom as you experience the idols in your life come crashing down and dissolve away 
may you be filled with all the fullness of Christ. Thanks for listening. We hope you are blessed and be encouraged in your faith life. Chapel happens every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 11 a.m. in the gymnasium or online at livechapel.twu.ca. You can also stay connected with us by following at TWU Chapel. Until next time, much love.